Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp. I wrote and verse read long and analysis podcast that sits out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. I'm going to start saying um, I do have a hard candy sweet in my mouth because I'm slightly obsessed with them now since my friend Robert from the Into the Riordan Verse podcast who's doing all the books that aren't part of the Camp Half-Blood Chronicles. Um, he he bought me some and he sent them all the way from America to me and I'm absolutely obsessed um, so much so that I'm going to just keep having them and um, tucking on the sweets whilst I'm doing this podcast episode so I do apologise but um, I'm addicted so um, forgive me <laughs> um, so today we are continuing <laughs> timeline journey with the last Olympian chapters chapter 11 we break a bridge and chapter 12 Rachel makes a bad deal as always I've got my points to focus on so today we've got characters relationships battle plot and generally what I thought of it but to begin here's the synopsis our first battle commences and it goes well until Percy's ego means it doesn't with Annabeth hurt and the enemy falling back to engage the next day, our heroes receive a reprieve filled with shared feelings, dreams, and ending with a truce meeting. And that is a synopsis for these two chapters. And things are seriously getting underway, and I'm very, very excited. So let's just dive right on into it with chapter 11, We Break a Bridge. I think I made a mistake by having the hard candy um what can i do i'm just gonna have to deal with it aren't i oh no <laughs> i have made a grave error but i made my bed so i'm gonna lie in it now <laughs> so let's just go on with the overview for chapter 11 percy's nightmare returns and he's stronger than ever but so is percy the Apollo cabin is overrun and Percy and Annabeth are their only reinforcements. With a, click li- <laughs> With a quick little flirt, Percy jumps in to be a distraction. His curse makes him fly through his enemies like passing through air, but he hardly feels it. Percy's arrogance causes them too much. Loses them too much. Oh my god, I can't read. Percy's arrogance loses them too much. Michael Yu is lost, Annabeth is hurt, and things aren't going well. At least their enemy has given them some time. Now this is one thing before I dive in. I don't know if this was a mistake in the writing, but I think it may be a mistake in the writing. Um, 
So the chapter started with, was it exactly midnight or was it just a mention of it being midnight? Hold on, let me just double check that. Oh, it was well after midnight. No, so it's not exactly midnight, but it seems like how this chapter starts is just after midnight, well, a little after midnight, so maybe one or two in the morning, we'll say. And then Cronus says he'll see them this evening. So it means it's like morning now. So he's giving them almost a day. I don't know, it just feels pretty weird. I don't know if the time is that. Because it also means that this battle that they've just had, which is after midnight, so say two, maybe three, the battle's lasted like two, three hours? Maybe? I don't know, I can't really get a sense of the timing, which is not the best thing, considering that we're given two different time moments. I don't know. I'm just a little confused. Maybe I just didn't get it. That could just be my dyslexia messing with me, but who knows. It was something that I picked up on. I was like, wait, what? Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's something I noticed. I could be wrong. I probably am. But I thought I'd bring it up. Um, but I want to start first with characters, actually. Particularly Percy. Well, I only really want to talk about Percy and Annabeth, if I'm honest. But I want to start with Percy. Because... Okay, Percy has always been a little bit arrogant, like a little bit full of himself. So it wasn't too much of a surprise that that happened here. But at the same time, it kind of was. Like, he's not that bullheaded just to keep fighting, even though, he, as he says, he knows when Annabeth said they should have pulled back. He knows they should have, but he wanted to keep going, so he did. That just felt a really really out of place for me and it felt a little out of character but it did make me wonder if this was something relating to the curse and like a side effect of it because as we know from the story of Achilles um Achilles did have a big ego and it kind of seemed to get worse especially during the Trojan War like his ego was inflated massively and obviously that's after he gained the curse of Achilles but his ego meant that he didn't know when to stop he just kept going he took things too far so i would love to kind of understand the curse a little bit more and if this is a side effect like this not being able to stop this pushing things too far this taking things too far which leads to people getting hurt like in achilles case it was patroclus who got hurt which then led to him taking things way too far after that like more so the only thing is, and this is just something that is just a bit of a frustrating thing for me as a whole to do with the Achilles curse, it's never really explored what the curse does. And it's a little bit frustrating. I would have liked to know if maybe this like ego and like this bullheadedness was like, he's always had that a little bit, but if it inflates your worst traits as part of the curse, that'd be a really interesting thing for that to have been explored, but it's not really, that doesn't really happen. There's this also thing where he seems to get like this sense of tunnel vision whilst fighting. He can't really focus on anything that's happening unless he really, really tries. Um, and I'll go into this a little bit when we talk about the battle aspect, but his character, like Percy as a character feels a little bit different and it'd be really cool to know if it was because of the curse, but we don't get that. So it's kind of, it just feels slightly out of place and you can just make the assumption that the curse is inflating other parts of Percy's personality um, 
God, say that two times as fast. Percy's personality. Percy's personality. Oh, no, I can't. Um. <laughs> Ugh. But going on to Annabeth, actually. So, this is another thing, though. I feel like, again, I feel like she's not really being shown as much in this current... In, in the current progression of this story. Like, she's just kind of there. Um, but here she does show some real moments, and I do like that. Like she, she has shown that she is the real one. Not only did she try to get Percy to pull back, knowing that he's making a mistake by continuing, after he's made the mistake, which is leading to trouble, she stays with him, even though she's not un invulnerable like he is, against the charge that the enemy has, and then sacrifices herself, not in the going to die way, to protect him from a villain who's going to stab him in the back. Like, this girl is a legend. And that's why I'm slightly disappointed that she's not as prominent at the moment in the book in comparison to this other... Well, just... It seems just like... I know obviously it's from his perspective, so it is Percy's story and all this sort of stuff, but in previous times, when Annabeth is around, we we're aware of her presence it she just feels a little bit more in the background at the moment which is a little bit disappointing um and yeah i don't know it's just uh, it's frustrating i will kind of get to it a little bit more she does have some more moments in the next chapter admittedly and i'm kind of pleased by that but i do wish that she'd gotten more she she was having more of a role at the moment to help build up her relationship with percy and all these sort of things but I know. There's something missing there, I think is the thing. But going into the battle, actually, just from what I've been mentioning, and particularly to do with fight scenes, I think it's a bit here. Other than the fight with the Minotaur, where we do get some really useful and insightful descriptions of battle and fighting techniques, and just kind of seeing how Percy has improved since his first time fighting the Minotaur, and I do like that sort of juxtaposition. Like, he had no idea what he was doing. He was just kind of going with the flow and just hoping for the best as a kid. And now he is, like, a seasoned fighter. I like that we're seeing this kind of... This progression with this fight. Other than that fight with the Minotaur... Okay, I've swallowed the hard candy now because I was struggling a lot there. <laughs> um, that, that scene with the Minotaur... I feel like we're involved with that fight from the descriptions and how it goes, but it just, it's a little short-lived because, and this is going back to the Achilles Curse, the, the Achilles Curse has limited my interest in the fights now. The description and the fight scenes themselves just vanish. There's like a few little lines here and there, and we get this like throwaway bit each time of like he doesn't know what he did, he doesn't know what happened, he just knows he was charging through them. And we had that happen like after he'd gotten the curse and all these sort of things. It just it makes them a, it makes the fight scenes and battles a little bit bland. And then Percy, well, Percy's always been a little bit OP, but he's more so now. So it just kind of it stands out to me that the fight scenes are kind of just dwindling whenever he's involved. Um, the intensity and investment in the fight itself fades for me. And it fades for him as well because, like, obviously he's not aware of what's happening. It's only until he, when he's joined by Annabeth and the others, that we get a little bit more focus into what's happening. 
probably because he's paying attention again like when he's going into the flow we don't, he's just not aware of anything because he's going with the flow of it which is a really interesting concept but it just makes the fight scenes really boring now because we're not getting anything from them we're just being told oh i don't know what happened it was just like something had taken over me and i was going through it and then he mentioned something about like cackling like madly and i was like that would have been really cool to actually get a description of that a little bit more of a description like be in that moment with him because it put us on edge as well the fact that he's laughing whilst killing <laughs> like that's messed up but we don't really get that we don't really get pulled into that scene um which is yeah it's just a little bit of a a letdown from previous fights like i mean some of the fight scenes that we've had in the past been too many just in general but also after a while they get a little bit repetitive but the fight scenes as a whole have always been really good so it's just a little bit disappointing just for them to kind of disappear now um considering as well this is like this is meant to be the big battle um and we're not really getting to see it as much and except for small little standout moments um yeah i don't know there's just something about that that's i feel like the achilles curse has its fallbacks in that way in that it's just it means certain things like we know that he's not really gonna lose obviously we had that moment where like he was nearly stabbed and he sensed something going for that spot until annabeth jumped in the way so we we got a momentary like oh god but other than that yeah i don't know it just the fights are just kind of losing their interest for me because you get a sense of how it's going to go anyway because of the curse but then also the descriptions are failing because of the curse i don't know if that matters to anyone else but it's just something that i've picked up on and it's a little bit disappointing um especially like the my book is undergoing the beta reading process and there are moments where my description fails heavily and folks are pointing out for me so it's something for me to improve on um, and th- I think this is something here that it's like a an editor's note. I know he's probably had to cut things down because this this is the first book that actually has uneven chapter numbers. Like the last chapter is twenty twenty three, which hasn't happened before. It's always ended. No, it's always odd numbers. No, right. It always has even numbers, but this time it's landed on an odd number with twenty three. Usually, all the books have ended like on chapter 20 or chapter 22 but this time this book ends on chapter 23 which is different um so it's already slightly longer than usual but now it just considering that it's already long or longer you could have thrown in a few extra descriptions i know anyway sorry i'm getting off off topic but if any of you are interested in my story and stuff you can sign up to my newsletter um from my website but i'll also put link it in the episode show notes if you would like updates on my writing um but anyway let's move on (laughs) and move on fully to the next chapter chapter 12 rachel makes a bad deal um and this is the overview for chapter 12 oh why is my thing frozen ah there we go annabeth's not in a good way and percy is freaking out as Selina returns to convince Clarice to fight, the two share a moment. Annabeth blames herself for Luke and the war, believing she wasted a chance to stop him. Percy finally rests, and as he does, 
he dreams. The mystery of the prophecy's origins is revealed, Rachel returns, and things just get messy. Then he wakes up, and it gets a whole lot worse. A truce arrival is here, and they have a message from Kronos. Um, so yeah, more stuff is happening in this chapter. It slowed down slightly, although there's like a sense of urgency in the background, um, which I kind of like because they are slowing down. Like their enemy forces have pulled back. They're waiting until the evening to attack. So the demigods have like a day of like anxiety and building up and resting slightly when they can. Um, so you you feel this sense of like anxiety in the background, but you have this momentary reprieve at the same time, which I, I, I quite like, because you can really feel that in this chapter. Um, just a general note, just from the mentioning I had of Selena there, I really wish that Selena wasn't consistently shown as being hyper-emotional. And the fact that she mentions, you know, I never was a good fighter like you and Annabeth and blah, blah, blah. I'm like... But they didn't need to be like that. Like, Aphrodite, as like, love and war go together. The Aphrodite kids should also be good warriors. It's just disappointing that they just... They could have had her be a good fighter, but for some reason they just stereotyped the entire cabin instead. But then the fact that she is then hyper-emotional, and it's mentioned as, like, oh, but she's so distracted and all these sort of things... Um, so she'll probably get herself killed because of all this sort of stuff. So it's showing that her emotional state. And admittedly, she is very emotional because, you know, things are bad. Um, but her emotions and her emotive side is just consistently shown as like a negative or previously a little bit of an annoyance because she was just constantly crying and stuff like that. And I know I've brought this up before, but I really wish feminine characters in this series weren't put down as much as they were like they deserved more of it you can be feminine and still you know kill monsters like it's it's not that difficult but it really does have it like it's a consistent thing like you can't be feminine and kick ass basically which isn't realistic because there are lots of femme women that i know who could definitely beat me up um and i'm as they come like and I I work out well when the gyms were open I worked out I did muscles and all this muscle weights and all these sort of things but there are feminine women who wouldn't look like stereotypically you wouldn't think they could but they can um so I wish that stereotype wasn't continued to be used here and unfortunately it does continue throughout the series it doesn't really improve at all um but I'll get to that when we get to those chapters. Um, yeah, so that was just like a general note. Like, I read that and I was like, oh, for God's sake. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to bring it up. Because I just I really don't like how Aphrodite has been characterised in this series. Um, I just feel the need to bring that up. So I'm just going to move on now, though, to plot. Specifically, the prophecy element. So we get this whole dream sequence with Nico. Um, trying to find out and learn about his mother and in doing so learns out about the curse of the oracle and why the oracle was this zombie and all these sort of things um and basically the reason it's happening is obviously it's during the second world war Nico and Bianca have been born they were born before the um the rules were made for the for Zeus Poseidon and Hades to no longer have any children 
but uh, Zeus wants them to be sent to camp. He knows that even if they're sent to camp, they're going to be ostracized, which means that they can never become these big heroes. Um, or he wants them dead, um, which is what he attempts to do because their mother Maria is murdered because Zeus blows up the building that they're in. Um, and Hades is peeved at the oracle who warned him. Um, and so he curses her, basically saying that your mortal form will disappear, it will fade, but the oracle inside you will not. You will never host a mortal, another mortal, until my family is accepted. Uh, my, yeah, my family is accepted, all these sort of things. Really interesting information. Really gives insight about the oracle. All these sort of things. Why do we need to know it now? <laughs> like, and in a way, that, you guys know how I feel about prophecy dreams. This is the one thing that I find really frustrating. It's like, there are better ways that we have seen recently to receive this information. Like, you know, Hestia giving the background information of Luke and Luke meeting Annabeth and all these sort of things to Percy. Like, dream visions just kind of go back to... It's not technically telling and not showing, but it, it's just giving the information for the sake of giving information. Considering it's Nico who's learning this information, it'd have made more sense for Nico to have gone to Percy with this information and tell him about it. Um, and to kind of show like the why there is this big, big divide, well, bigger divide between Hades and Zeus and Hades not wanting to help support or fight against the gods. Like, Nico coming and saying like, this is what happened, this is why my dad won't support or help the gods which then leads to Percy being like okay tell your father I, I'll make the gods swear to, to abide by allowing him to be a member of the family or something like that and treat him as a member of the family if you get him to fight and help us like that would have been a great segue into like you know building the relationship between Percy and Nico as friends and comrades um and then getting Hades involved and kind of solving that situation because firstly I don't like the dream sequences then they don't make any sense except for the fact like oh this is a way to get information cool um and like this information about the prophecy and even if about Rachel being like oh something's happening in New York um which honestly is a little bit on the nose but I'll get to that later um so we need to go I'll go to this academy dad if you let me go back to New York um and like it's cool it's interesting why do we need to know it now like this moment really should have appeared much much later when its importance arises and has direct involvement with the that the plot line at that point right now it just feels really out of place and just kind of cuts the tension that was building at this point like dramatically like we're leading up to uh, this meeting with the with the titans which will be happening in the next chapter annabeth is hurt everyone's exhausted random dream sequence to do with the oracle and why she's a zombie like it doesn't just doesn't match it just feels like it's just been taken from somewhere where it probably should have been it just shoved in here randomly just to extend this chapter i don't know it's just mm, i feel like it could have been inputted a lot better and it just wasn't um I'll move on to the next pit now because that I don't want to focus on that too much because it's just 
it's just a thing that happens. But anyway, um, I do want to move into relationships because this is the chapter that I feel has built up more for Percy and Annabeth's relationship than anything else at this current point. We're getting more of a tie-in into the relationship as a whole. Like, that's the main thing that's happening here. Like, there are moments being shared between them. Uh, really, unfortunately, the only reason that this moment is happening is because Annabeth is injured. Like, kind of sucky. But um, we're seeing this development between the two. They're sharing things with each other. Like, they're opening up to each other and showing the trust and support and care that they do have for each other in these moments. Like the fact that Percy shares where his weakness with the curse is, even guiding her hand to that spot. And he f- like he feels like this tingling sensation when she does. I don't know if it's just because of the sensitivity of that particular spot, or if it's just like she's kind of the reason that he was tied back to it. Not that he still hasn't figured that out, it's because he's a boy. Um, <laughs> admittedly, I'm a lesbian, I can't really talk. I, I can't tell anything about women. Um, even though I am one, which is ironic. Um, and then we also have the fact that Annabeth confides in him about when Luke came to her and like the guilt that she feels and the blame that she has. It's minor irritation, I don't feel like Percy said to her enough that's not her fault. Like, I feel like he should have said it more. I don't know. I feel like there's more that could have been said there of him, like, telling her and trying to make her aware that she is not responsible for Luke's actions. She is not responsible for saving him. It is not her duty. She is a child. He is a grown man. Like, it is not her duty whatsoever. That needed to be said. Because that's something that really frustrates me with this book a little bit, is that so much pressure is put on Annabeth to save this, like, a grown man boy in Luke, to be the person to save him. And that's not... Firstly, to all women, girls out there, it is not our duty to save men that's not a thing (laughs) support them in areas like for mental health and stuff like that speak out and support them but if they're terrible people it's not your duty to save support and fix them that that's the main thing here like the way this is presented is that annabeth was the key to fixing him and making him good again and i hate that so much so i kind of wish percy was a said a little bit more about that and kind of spoke in her defense because she's speaking poorly about herself saying she's blaming herself for the war basically and i don't feel he spoke up enough for her to not have those feelings um that's a minor thing it's not the biggest thing in the world i just do kind of wish it was there because you know annabeth's a child of abuse like would be good for for her to get these more like words of affirmation of no you are good you did what you could it's not your duty it's not your responsibility things like that also i would like to point out that thankfully this is the first time that she's had the chance to speak about luke and their past and history without percy getting jealous or annoyed that she brought up luke minor growth happy to see that um so the development for their relationship is there it's slowly building um i do just kind of wish it'd been done like that from the start but that's a conversation for another day
or chapters at least. Um, <laughs> so overall, once again, these uh, these pair of chapters are incredibly solid, and they're just a good lead-in again to what's about to come with this conversation with a Titan about a message from Kronos. Um, obviously, there are a few things here I think could have been done better. Better build-up for Percy and Ibeth's relationship. Um, the battles and the Achilles heel, not the biggest fan, because I just feel like it's limiting certain aspects of it. I'm also wishing that Annabeth was having more of a role in the story, but um, from what I can remember, that does happen later. But if it doesn't, I'm definitely going to talk more about it. But uh, yeah, so to get on to this week's question of the episode, um, I just realised I haven't written one down yet. Um, okay, you know what? I'll go with this one. Um, so this week's question of the episode is, do you think the Achilles curse is bringing out more of Percy's negative attributes, such as his bullheadedness? I may reword that slightly in the uh, the question on my social media for this, but uh, we'll see. Basically, do you think the curse is kind of influencing Percy's actions. I guess that may be a better way to say it. Um, so yeah, that'll be going up on our social media the day after this episode is out. Um, so yeah, just go follow us there so you can answer the question when it is released. As always, I want to thank you all for joining me today for today's chapters. Be sure to join me next Wednesday for a very special episode um, as we continue our inverse journey. Now to plug where you can... F- hold on. Thank you for joining me today for to thank you for joining me for today's chapters. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our Ryordanverse journey. To plug where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where you should follow, subscribe, leave a rating and review, Audioboom, Stitcher, and Deezer. And basically any platform where you can listen to a podcast. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find the Best Time Camp on various social media at Best Time Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to email me with your own thoughts, you can email thebestdamncamp at hotmail.com and I will read it out in our mailbag episodes. If you want to support me making this content, check me out on Patreon at A Healthy Dose of Fran. Want to know more about my upcoming writing? Drop me a follow at A Dose of Fran on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I'll see slash speak to you guys next time. I swear it on the river sticks. <laughs>